Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. My friends, welcome back to the Uncomfortable Truth. Today is a primer, a guide to how to close business or to be of interest to at least some of you, huh? So in no special order, number one, slow down to speed up. You want to build trust. It takes a while to build trust with a buyer. I'll get into a detail about that a bit later. But don't rush to try to get the sale. Don't be so anxious. Instead, focus on delivering value in that meeting and how you can help the buyer. Remember that you're dealing with adults. Brevity is important. The briefer you are, the more questions you can be asked. So don't expound. Don't go on at great length. Don't meander all over the landscape. And focus on the end result, which is to get a buyer to accept a proposal. Don't get into long conversations about where the buyer went to school or what his or her last job was or the fact that both of you like to play golf, which to me is revolting anyway. So brevity Adults will ask you questions if they need more information. Remember, your focus should be on what you create, not what you do. What you create that improves the buyer's condition, not what you do. Michelangelo was not paid as a painter. He was paid as someone who could create the Sistine Chapel. Da Vinci could create the David. He wasn't paid as a sculptor. You're paid for how you improve people's condition. So that is what you should focus on. Trust is vital. I said that before. So you don't want somebody who's looking for second opinions. Take your time and build trust by delivering value, by showing interest, by being at least conversant in the buyer's business or industry. You don't have to be a banking expert if you're in a bank with a buyer, but you should know what a loan defalcation is as an example. Deal only with buyers, by the way. These are people who have budget and who can purchase your value. They don't need approvals. They don't need rubber stamps. I had a guy tell me once that although he had no budget and his boss actually approved it, he was the buyer. No, he isn't. No one in human resources is usually a buyer. No one. I've encountered three of them in 35 years. People in learning and development are not buyers. People who have P&L responsibility in large companies are buyers. In small companies, closely held businesses, it's usually the owner. Sometimes there's a chief executive, sometimes not. But deal only with buyers and do not be delegated. If a buyer says to you, I'd like you to meet my vice president of X or Y or Z, or if you're in England, Z, you tell them, look, this is a strategic decision. We can involve your people when we decide best how to implement, but whether we implement is your decision, and it's not one that can be delegated. Your people will be uncomfortable, they often are, when people come in here with change, with innovation. They wonder why they shouldn't have done this themselves, or if it's threatening to them. But your view is strategic for the good of the business, and what you owe your shareholders, and what you owe your board. So here's a typical hour diagnostic, assuming you have an hour with a real economic buyer. The first 10 to 15 minutes should be building trust, chatting about the company, chatting about conditions, talking about what's needed. For example, today as I'm recording this, what's needed 
is the acquisition and retention and nurturing of talent, almost no matter what business you're in. The second 10 or 15 minutes should be about discovering issues that are important to the buyer. You can prompt those. You can say, I notice in your business that there's an increasing frequency to go global. What are your current plans for moving beyond the country? The third 10 to 15 minutes then is getting conceptual agreement on specifics that you can work on to improve the buyer's condition within those issues. Conceptual agreement comprises objectives, measure, and value, and I'm going to describe those and define them. An objective is a business outcome. It is something that improves the client's condition. Better teamwork, better lines of communication, aligning people, these are not business outcomes. Business outcomes are improved profit, decreased attrition, decreased expenses, uh, faster time in closing new business, faster time in commercializing products for their customers. So an objective is a business outcome. It's not internal. You'll hear people talk forever about improved teamwork until the cows come home. You can improve teamwork forever and still lose business. Second, metrics are measures of success. You have to know something if you tripped over it. Some are obvious, and so if you say our objective is to decrease attrition, you look at monthly turnover reports. If our objective is to decrease expenses, you look at monthly expense reports. However, they can be anecdotal. And so if the client says, I have to spend more time on strategy and building this business and less time refereeing among competing groups, then anecdotally that buyer can report to you if his or her time indeed refereeing is decreasing. And finally, there's value. Value is the impact of meeting the objective. Let's take something obvious like profit. Profit's a legitimate objective. However, if you say, what will that do for us? Well, it can increase salaries. It can be used to pay off debt. You can invest in new properties. You can attract new investors. You see where I'm going with this. Even something as obvious as profit has four or five or 10 value statements attached to it. This is called monetization. And so on average, for every business objective you have, and for an average project, you should have somewhere around four, maybe five. For every business objective, try to get three value statements. And when you get those, if you have four objectives, you have 12 value statements, monetize at least half of them. And when you monetize them, be conservative. So if the buyer says this is probably worth a million dollars, you say, let's make it 500,000. If the buyer says this will be four to 8% improvement, you say, let's take 4%. So you can remind the buyer later when that buyer is looking at your fee and the return on the investment that all the numbers you took were conservative and will probably be beaten, probably be far better when the project actually concludes. So if you look at the four areas I talked about, building trust, talking about issues, conceptual agreement. The fourth and final one is pouring concrete or pouring cement, if you prefer. And that means you ask the buyer, is there anything we have not spoken about other than fee, because the buyer will not see that till your proposal, that might give you cause not to choose one of the options I provide for you? If so, let's talk about it while we're together. Whether you're together in person or remotely doesn't matter. You always want to make sure that when you walk into this hour, which in these four segments would take from 40 to 60 minutes, 
that you have minimum and maximum objectives so you can calibrate how well you did. A minimum objective would be another meeting so that you can carry on and reach conclusions. If you need more than two meetings with an honest-to-God buyer, you haven't gotten anywhere. The maximum objective, though, after this 40 to 60 minutes, is for the buyer to agree to consider a proposal. And if you have conceptual agreement and if you have monetization of the values, you should hit 80% of your proposals. I do, and many people in my community hit over 90. You always want TDA. TDA is time, date, and action. Never leave a meeting of any kind without a time, date, and action to continue. So if the client agrees to see a proposal, you say, I will have a proposal on your desk electronically tomorrow by 1 p.m. And I will call you two days later at 10 in the morning on your cell phone to see which option you'd like to move forward with. Time, date, and action. Never allow a client to say, I'll get back to you. Never say, let's talk in about a week. And when a client says, you know, I'm going to be out of town, a buyer says, I'll be traveling, people use their cell phones and their computers when they travel. That's no excuse anymore not to be responsive. So you always want to provide options in your proposals. Never take it or leave it. Take it or leave it is 50-50. Well, maybe I'll leave it. But when you provide options, instead of deciding whether to use you, the client is now deciding how best to use you. This will increase your acceptance rate by at least 50% from a binary proposal which says, take it or leave it. There are only four areas of objection that you can expect during these conversations. One is, we have no money. Well, of course they have money, the lights are on, they're paying the mortgage, they're paying their employees. Money is not a resource, it's a priority, and money can be reallocated. Don't forget, money and budget are two different things. They might not have budgeted for you, because they didn't know you were going to be there. But they have money they're spending on other things, which true buyers can reallocate to you because you're a better investment. A second objection is no time. I wish I had the time, but I don't. Well, they do have the time. And as far as time is concerned, it too is a priority, not a resource. When you tell me you can't see your kid's soccer game, you have no time, you do have the time, you choose not to see it. Now, you might choose to be doing something else that supports your kid's soccer game. I'm not being judgmental, but I am saying we all make decisions about our time. It's not a legitimate objection. The third is that uh, we have no need. And our job, of course, as consultants, as coaches, as experts, is to create need. And so we have to show that our, to our buyer that our buyer is missing something that will demonstrably improve the buyer's condition and the company's condition. Our jobs to generate need. If we can't do that, we're in the wrong profession. So the final of these four areas of objection, and the only one that means anything is no trust. I have money, I have time, and I'm certainly willing to say I have needs. My problem is I don't know that you're the person that can deliver this. And that's why I'm telling you, you have to slow down to speed up. And the first part of your buyer meeting is to build that trust. What you don't want are second opinions. You know, you don't want somebody saying, well, thanks, doc, but I need a second opinion here. If you trust your doctor, you don't get second opinions. And if you're trusted as a consultant, nobody's going to look elsewhere. They're going to accept what you say. Delays are never good. Nobody in my entire career has ever said to me, Alan, let me take another month on this to come up and pay you even more than you're asking me. And so when people delay, when they procrastinate, when they ghost, that's the phrase today, you're dead in the water. So you have to stay on top of things and don't let that happen. Ghosting is not 
usually a problem of rudeness or unprofessionalism. Maybe it is 10% of the time. But 90% of the time, that person just wanted to get you out of the office because you weren't interesting. There wasn't enough value perceived. In closely held companies, in family businesses, even if you're talking to the owner, the founder, talk to the spouse or partner. They exert tremendous influence, even if the buyer says, well, I make the decisions around here and my partner is just fine with the way I run the business. You need to meet that person because if you don't, that person will ask questions of your buyer that the buyer can't answer well and you're going to be dead in the water once again. In corporate settings, you don't have to talk to someone's partner or spouse, but you better make sure you're talking to a real buyer. Buyers have budget. They don't need approvals. They don't need to go elsewhere. And it's okay to ask the question, will you be funding this solely out of your budget? That's a legitimate question. And so you want outcome-based objectives, metrics, metrics of progress toward those objectives, and monetized value of meeting the objectives. Those three things constitute conceptual agreement, and those three things should be in your proposal. My proposals are two and a half pages. It's as simple as that. No one wants your resume. I've seen people put their photo in proposals. That's strictly amateurville. Let me tell you something. Two and a half pages, no wasted time because you already have conceptual agreement. Use conservative numbers. You know, if the buyer says, as I mentioned, a million, you take half a million. If he says five to 10%, you take 5%. This will make your fee seem even more reasonable. Make sure if the buyer agrees to your proposal that you start quickly. Don't let that delay. Do something, even if it's remote, even if it's remote interviews or surveys or something. Start immediately, which is part of pouring cement on the project. If someone says to you, I'd like to know who your current clients are and you are fairly new to this business, it's fine to say, even if you're a veteran in this business, my clients are confidential just as you will be when you become my client. So I cannot reveal their names, but I can give you examples of typical results I get from my clients, and here's what they are. And that should also be in your collateral material and on your website and so forth. Your payment terms should be a minimum of 50% on acceptance, not 50% on commencement, not 50% net 10, net 30, or net the end of the world. 50% on acceptance and the other 50% in 45 days. I don't care how long the project is. If the client says that's not our policy, you say, I appreciate that, but it's, it's my policy. And there are some companies today, I think um, it might be Gen Genentech. I might have them wrong. I don't mean to do them a disservice. Uh, or it might be Cisco, but they have a 120-day payment policy. In other words, they're riding the backs of smaller businesses. That's unethical. And so you tell them what your payment policy is. And by the way, offer a 10% discount for full payment in advance. In many companies and in the federal government, there's a triggering system that says to procurement, if you are offered a discount, you must accept it. And so by offering a 10% discount, that's a, just a little bit of money to give up to have use of your money immediately. So always offer that in your proposals as well as an option. I'm talking about a concept called TDTC, which is total days to cash. And if your total days to cash are in the red, in other words, you've already started, you haven't been paid yet, that's not good. You deserve to have control and use of your money. My total days to cash are in the negative, way in the black, because I get paid long before I start projects. When you do get paid, folks, my suggestion is put 10% aside of the gross 
pay yourself immediately. I don't mean your salary. I mean you put 10% into account, a slush fund, uh, a rainy day fund, and you don't touch it. And if you develop that habit, you'll have nice reserves. And remember, finally, as you go through this, you are really looking to make three sales. Do you understand? This could be the 1% for some of you. Improve by 1% a day, and in 70 days, you're twice as good. When you make a sale to an economic buyer, you will get a check or a credit card, and that's sale one. You will have the opportunity to achieve expansion business as you do a great job and you go further with that company. And that is sale two. I worked with Merck for 12 years, Hewlett Packard for 10. And then you have the opportunity to get referral business, evangelism, which is how sales is going to be in the future permanently. It's not about feet on the street. It's not about social media. It's about people talking to each other about how good you are. And so referral business will also result. Immediate business, expansion business, referral business. Now that's evergreen business. Don't you think it's worth the discipline that I've provided you in the prior 17 minutes to be successful? I hope so. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.